The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. All right, awesome. Hey, if you happen to bring a Bible this morning, Matthew chapter 1 is our text today. Matthew chapter 1 is our text today. And uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. We're going to put the verses on the screen. So we've been in this series now for three weeks. This is our third week, and the series is called The Gifts of Christmas. Really exciting time of the year. I love receiving gifts. Anybody like receiving gifts? You love getting gifts? I used to love getting uh, the big gifts at Christmas. Any, any of you guys like me, like you're like, when you walked into Christmas morning as a kid, you just wanted to see the biggest gift underneath the tree had your name on it. Come on now. Anybody else like me this morning, you like to see the big, you like to see the big, I don't want to see the small, I want to see the gift that's so big, it won't even fit underneath the tree. We got to put it beside the tree and you never knew what was going to be in that big gift, right? It, it could be a pony, it could be a bike, it could be a motorcycle, you just never knew what was going to be in the big gifts. I, I, quite honestly, I, I didn't like receiving the little gifts as a kid. You know why? You know why you don't like receiving the little gifts. You know why? Because the little gifts mean it's probably a new shirt, right? It's probably a new shirt. It may be a pair of shoes. And worst of all, it may be a new pair of socks. I wanted the big gifts at Christmas. Anybody say amen this morning? Are you like me? I wanted to receive the big gifts at Christmas. You know, the Bible says God so loved the world that he gave. God is a giving God. I believe at Christmas time, it's, it's this reminder as we give gifts to one another that we serve a God who loves to give incredible gifts. And I believe the Christmas story is this story of God giving an enormous gift to the world. And so if, if you've read your Bible before, you probably know that the book of Matthew and the book of Luke are, are the only two chapters and the only two books where we actually get the Christmas story. We get Matthew chapter one, we get Luke chapter one and chapter two, and those are the only two places we get the, the, the Christmas story. And so as we read the Christmas story in the book of Matthew and in the book of Luke, we see several themes that begin to emerge. We see these themes of, of joy being promised in the Christmas story. We see this theme of, of peace being promised in the Christmas story. We see this, this, this theme of, of favor being proclaimed over the people at that time. We see this theme of, of good news being foreshadowed. But listen, there's another theme in the Christmas story that doesn't get a whole lot of attention, but it's very prevalent as we read Matthew 1, Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 2, and that theme seems very different than the ones that I just mentioned. And that theme that we see very frequently in the Christmas story is the theme of fear. In four different scenes in the Christmas story, we see fear showing up in the story of Zacharias, we see fear showing up in the story of Mary. We see fear showing up in the story of the shepherds. And then today, we see fear showing up in the story of Joseph. And so the angel shows up, and we're going to read the text here in just a moment. And the first words that the angel says as he appears to Zacharias and Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, the very first words that he says are, or she says, we don't really know, or it says, we're not sure, is do not be afraid. Every time 
the angel announces good news in the Christmas story. Every time the angel promises peace and every time the angel promises joy and every time the angel promises favor, the angel begins with the words, do not fear. Don't you find that strange? (laughs) You read the Christmas story. Don't you find it strange this morning that in the, in the unfolding story, as God is about to give an enormous gift to the world, the lead-in to the pronouncement of that gift is, do not be afraid. It's like, what are you going to give me, God? Are you about to give me a pair of socks? Like, what's about to happen here, God? But the lead-in to that pronouncement is, do not be afraid. Do you understand that do not fear is the most, uh, most given command in all of the Bible? You may not be aware of that. Maybe you thought worship God or love God or love your neighbor is the most given command in the entire Bible. But actually, the most given command in the entire Bible is do not fear. We find it 366 times throughout the entire Bible, one for every day of the year plus one for good measure. It's the most given command in the entire Bible. Do not fear. You know, fear is a dominant emotion. You understand this. Our culture understands this. Fear is a dominant emotion. Rolling Stones had an article recently in their magazine, and it said, fear is like a disease infecting millions of people around the country. The article goes on to say, if this election cycle is a mirror, then it is reflecting a society choked with fear. It's not just threats of terrorism, economic collapse, cyber warfare, Government corruption, each of which some 70% of our citizenry is afraid of, according to a study by Chapman University, it's the stakes of the election itself. And so this college, Chapman University, does a survey quite frequently in 2018. These are the top five greatest fears of Americans. Number one, corruption of government officials. 74% of Americans are afraid of corruption. I'm one of those 74%. I'm not afraid. I just believe it's true. Number two, pollution of oceans, 62%. Uh, They must have left me out of this one because I still like my plastic straws, but whatever. So number three says, not having enough money for the future, 57%. Number four, people I love becoming seriously ill and and the fifth greatest fear of Americans is that people that I love are going to die. Yet I find this strange. This president of Lewis and Clark College, Barry Glasner, he's one of America's leading uh, sociologists. He's the author of a book called The Culture of Fear. Listen to what he says. In the midst of all these fears that our country is experiencing, he says most Americans are living in the safest place at the safest time in human history. Now listen. Yet in spite of the safest place and the safest time in all of human history, in spite of all of that, all of these fears still exist around us. The fear of the proliferation of the politics of fear, the fear of our safety because of terrorism, the fear of pollution of our environment, the fear of our health, the fear of the well-being of our loved ones. Let's just get into it this morning. What are your fears this Christmas? What are you afraid of this Christmas? What what deep down are the things that you fear? The Bible says, but perfect love drives out fear. Perfect love drives out fear. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. I believe that God wants to give us an enormous gift this Christmas. And I want to focus on this theme as we open up the book of Matthew chapter 1 this morning. I want to focus on the theme, and I want, to, I want to encourage you throughout this, this message this morning to consider this thought. I want to encourage you to give God your fears this morning and allow God to give you the gift of 
his love. Matthew chapter one, starting in verse 18, this is what the text says. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. It's a miracle child. Verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, the New American Standard says, because Joseph was righteous. Listen, because Joseph was faithful to the law, because he was righteous, listen to what, what, what his intent was. And he did not want to expose Mary to public disgrace. It's very noble of Joseph. Listen to what he said he had intended to do. He had in mind to divorce her quietly, verse 20, but after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, here it is, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. You know, Christmas is supposed to be the happiest time of the year, right? All the commercials say so. Everybody's smiling in the commercials. Everybody's having a party in the commercials. Christmas is supposed to be the happiest time of the year. And maybe it is the happiest time of the year for all of you extroverts, right? Maybe Christmas is the happiest time of the year for those of you who have friends and family local and, and you plan to share the tradition that you've always done. Maybe Christmas is the happiest time of the year for those of you who are going away to see friends and family. Maybe it's the happiest time of the year for those of you have plans and parties and gifts and the financial ability to celebrate, but maybe some of you this morning are lonely this Christmas, and maybe you're afraid of being alone, and maybe everybody else is going to parties, but you're not invited. Maybe everybody else has a house full of family this Christmas. Everybody else has a house full of friends, and you're alone. When you read the Christmas story, there are plenty of occasions for loneliness throughout the Christmas story. Even here in the, in the story of Joseph, Joseph finds out his virgin fiance, his virgin fiance is pregnant. He doesn't have a clue who the father is. He just knows I am not the father. And so we don't see Joseph in this text being full of joy and, and laughter and happiness and anticipation. What we see is that Joseph is not throwing a party. Joseph is trying to figure out how do I get out of this scenario and this situation? If you've ever gone through a divorce, or, or maybe you've been the child of parents who have gone through divorce, there's a common theme that emerges in, in this divorce situation. And that common theme that emerges is the fear of being alone, the fear of being isolated. And there's this fear of abandonment. There's this fear of utterly being alone. You know, you don't have to go through divorce to have these experiences of fear. You know this to be true. You don't have to go through divorce to have these experiences of fear. People are dying every single day for somebody to genuinely love them. You understand? People are dying every single day for somebody to care for them. People are afraid of dying alone. People are dying of fear because of loneliness. Some of us this morning are afraid that we're never going to be loved. Some of us are afraid this morning that, that we're afraid to receive love from somebody else, that they just get to know who I am, that they'll never really love me. Some of us are afraid to love other people, maybe because you've been abandoned by somebody else in your life, a relationship, a parent, a friend, and the angel shows up in the midst of this fear. 
Angel shows up in the midst of Joseph's fear here in Matthew chapter one. How do we know Joseph is experiencing fear, Pastor Matt? Well, the first thing the angel says is, do not fear. In fact, the very first thing the angel says as he appears to Mary is, do not fear. The very first thing the angel says is, as he appears to, to, to Zacharias is, do not fear. The very first thing the angel says as he appears to, uh, to the shepherds is, do not fear. Listen, when you have an encounter with God, one of the things he's trying to do in your life is to drive out fear. I believe God wants to give some of you an incredible gift this Christmas. And one of those gifts that he wants to give some of you is to drive out the fear in your life. But I believe some of us are afraid of what God wants to do in our life. Maybe we're afraid of uh, if we fully surrender our life to God. We have these ideas of what that may mean to our, our relationships and our careers and our family and our job and our plans. And can I say to us this morning, sometimes God's gifts will bring worry before they ever bless us. Sometimes God's gifts are wrapped up in this misery and this chaos and this fear of life. And you can receive a gift from God and it not really feel like a blessing or a gift at all. And so the angel shows up with this gift, with this blessing to Joseph, with this blessing to the world, and the angel is speaking to the fears of Joseph. Joseph's about, about to throw in the towel on his fiance. He's about to throw in the towel to his marriage. And can you really blame him here in this text? Can you blame him? First of all, don't, don't you think Joseph is thinking, don't you think Joseph is thinking, is my wife to be really telling the truth? He's probably afraid of being lied to. Secondly, secondly in Israel, where, where women already have a lower place in society, he finds out his wife-to-be is pregnant and they're not married. I'm sure he's probably afraid of perception. And so this fear in his life probably has caused him to lose expectations, to expect the worst, to lose his enthusiasm. And thus we see Joseph plans to divorce his wife. I believe fear can cause us to give up and not to fall forward. Joseph could not see the gift that God was about to give him. The, by the way, we read this story, we read the Christmas story, and we have the hindsight 2020, and we see the gift that God has given the world, and we're like, why, why couldn't you see that, God? Joseph couldn't see, see the gift that God was about to give him that we understand today, and the gift that God was about to give Joseph is the same gift God wants to give some of you this Christmas is sometimes the gift that God wants to give us is oftentimes wrapped up in all of these undesirable circumstances and all of these difficulties. And I believe fear can cause some of us to lose our perspective and cause some of us to skew our understanding of God's love. One pastor describes fear this way. He says, for many people in the world today, fear of the unknown is crippling them and causing them to walk through life without a sense of hope or peace for the future. Much like Mary and Joseph, our own lives can be filled with did you knows, questions and unknowns regarding health, family, future, and loved ones. Yet what was unknown, listen to this, and seemed like the end for Joseph was only just the beginning. The current circumstances may have been unplanned, but to God, it was not unknown. You know, the angel was not only speaking to Joseph here in Matthew chapter one, the angel is also speaking to us today. Do not fear. 
the angel still says to us. You understand what's happening here in the Christmas story? The birth of Jesus is the end of the fear of abandonment, the end of the fear of loneliness, and it starts right here in Matthew chapter 1, Luke chapter 2. It starts right here with the birth of Jesus. And so the promise, the promise of God as being pronounced by the angel to Joseph and Mary and Zacharias and to the shepherd, the promise of God as being announced by the angel here promises to remove our fears. Pastor Matt, how does... That promise, remove our fears. How does the birth of Jesus help defeat our fears? It's very simple this morning. The birth of Jesus helps defeat our fears because it's God's proof that God is coming to where we are. I heard a pastor say recently, he was uh, overseas somewhere and he was on the steps of of this religious temple and there were multiple religious faiths represented and he was having a conversation with several people sitting around of multiple different faiths and they were talking about their different faiths and this pastor said, it's almost as if God is sitting up at the top of the mountain and all of us in our different faiths are making our way up to God and everybody right, yes, that's exactly, that's exactly, that's exactly it. And the pastor said, yet what I believe, the difference between you and I, He said, I'm not making my way up the mountain to God. God made his way down the mountain to me. God comes to where we are. The Christmas story is that God loved us so much that he gave us this gift of his life and his death to prove that love to us. John chapter 3, verse 16, probably the most quoted verse in all of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Church, listen to me in the morning. This is what Christianity is all about. It's God coming to us. And so the name that was given to this baby in the Old Testament was Emmanuel. You know what Emmanuel means this Christmas season. It means God with us. God didn't send a prophet. God didn't mail us a a copy of of a best-selling book, of of a pastor's book. God gave us himself. He came to us. You understand this? God walked among us. God cried with us. He was with us. He walked among his people again. When you read the Bible, sometimes you, you, you read about God's presence and, and you read that, that, that the Bible talks about God being, being over us. You see that in Colossians chapter 1. Sometimes you read in the Bible that God is, is in us. We see that in John chapter 14. Sometimes we see in the Bible that the Holy Spirit indwells us. We see that in Ephesians chapter 5. But here in Matthew chapter 1, the Bible talks about God being with us. We see it in other parts of the Bible. Isaiah chapter 53, it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. God in flesh knew grief. Listen, I want to encourage you this morning. God in flesh knew grief. God in flesh knew the sorrow that you're experiencing today. God in flesh was humiliated by his friends. That's what the book of Hebrews tells us. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us, the high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he has faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. God in flesh went through everything you and I have gone through. Why? Because God came to be with us. And so because he came to be with us. 
He's surrounded our hopelessness. He's surrounded our fears this morning. God's not a distant, uncaring God, as if God set everything into motion and then left us to try to figure out how it all works. Of all the ways that God could have come down, of all the ways that God could have saved humanity, of all the ways that God could have done what he did, God chose to identify with us. He doesn't just give Joseph a feeling here in Matthew chapter 1. He's not just giving Joseph a feel good about the situation that he's going through. He comes to Joseph. How do you mean he comes to Joseph? Well, the angel came to Joseph here. But listen, it was the glory of the Lord. God is there too as the angel is in the presence of Joseph. God sent a messenger, but he also sent his glory. Church, listen to me. He comes to us. And he doesn't just come for the sake of coming. He doesn't just come because he has nothing else to do. Church, he comes to draw us to himself. He comes to defeat our fears, our fear of abandonment, our fear of loneliness, and all other fears. How does he do that, Pastor Matt? How how does he do that? He does that. He defeats our fears by drawing us to himself. He came to be with us. Listen to me. He's here this morning. Are you awake? I know we're sparse this morning, but God's here this morning. God's here. God was with you this morning when you were getting ready. God was with you this morning when you were arguing with your spouse. Don't act so spiritual. Probably happened to me last Sunday, not today, but God was with you. God's with you this afternoon. God's with you through the challenge of this week, whatever it may be. God's with you in the difficulty and fears and chaos that is inevitably to be in 2020. God came to be with us, and he defeats our fears. How? By drawing us to himself. It's coming to where we are right now. In other words, the angel said, I'm coming to where you are right now. But listen, Joseph. God wants to see you. God wants to know you. God wants to see you this morning. God wants you to be with him. You understand? That's why in the story of of Adam and Eve, when Adam and Eve, by their sin, ripped humanity and, and the world apart, when they sinned, that's why the hammer just didn't drop on Adam and Eve in the garden. God didn't abandon Adam and Eve in the garden when sin happened. You know what he did? He made a promise to him. He made a promise to her. And all of those promises that he made to Adam and Eve, they all add up to this. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I am going to bring you to myself. The theologian Ambrose of Milan once said, he became a small babe so you could become a fully grown being. He came to earth so that you might come to heaven. You know, God's desire for every human who's ever lived on the planet, God's desire is for us to be reunited with him. And so God begins to defeat our fears by by, by coming where we are, by bringing us to him. And so what do we get when... We give God our fears this Christmas. What do we get when we, we give away our fears to God and, and we accept the gift of his love? What is it that we actually get when we do so? Well, what we get is we get God's presence. That's what we get. We get God's presence this morning. And maybe life has given some of you this morning loneliness and fear. I want to encourage you and let you know that God gives you love. 
And when he gives you his love, what you get is his presence. And so the God who gave us his only son, listen to me, I'm almost done here this morning. The God who gives us his only son, the Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 16, the God who gives us his only son loves, for God so loved the world that he gave us his son. The God who gave us his son loves. You know, it's so familiar that we have this temptation to sprint past us, like it's, like, like, like it's a 100-yard 100, 100 sprint. We try to sprint, sprint past John chapter 3, verse 16. The God who gave us his only son loves, and I want to encourage you not to rush past this idea this Christmas. Of all the things you can say about God at Christmas, you can say a lot of things about God, and you have a lot of perceptions about God, but you have to say this, God loves. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 tells us God is love. At its core, what that has to mean is that giving what is good and serving other people is at the essence of who God is. God loves. God gives. <laughs> Listen, God loves and God Gives. God gives because God loves. God loves and God gives. Loving and giving are parts of one another. God's loving and God's giving go hand in hand. How does he love, Pastor? John chapter 3, verse 16. God so loved the world. It means he loves it this much or he loves us this much. It's not an amount. John 3, 16 doesn't mean he loves us so much. It's not a quantity. It means God loved us in this way. What way is that? God gave us his son. God gave us his son. Why did he give us his son? He gave us his son to die. He gave us his son to be rejected. He gave us his son to go to the cross for our sins. That's the kind of love that the Father has for us. It's a giving love. God gave the most perfect treasure. He gave his son. I wanted to bring both of my sons up this morning at this part, and I just want to give you this visual. God gave us his son. God gave us his son. I want you to think on that this Christmas. God gave his son. A costly gift, a painful gift. Listen, a a powerful gift, a sacrificial gift. The meaning of Christmas is found in these words. God so loved. He loved in this way. And you understand this to be the case, that every other path to life And love in this world is a dead end. You understand that to be the case. Every other path to life and love in this world is a dead end. Maybe you've never put to words that reality, but you've probably experienced it in your life, haven't you? Every other path to life and love leads to a dead end. You've never put to words that reality, but you probably experienced it. You probably let it experience it in a breakup. You probably experienced it in in a letdown. You probably experienced it in, in, in being let go from your job. You probably experienced it in sports. You probably experienced it in stories that you write or stories that we watch. You've probably been to a movie. And you're like, wow, that was a letdown. I can't believe I paid 20 bucks and a box of popcorn for that. Everything else in life and love leads to a dead end. Think about all the things we say we love. We love food. I love food this time of year. My wife made a great Thanksgiving meal a couple weeks ago. We're going to make it again here next week. I love food, but you don't realize that food's probably one of the reasons why we have so many problems that we have today. You say, I love sports. I love food, Pastor Matt, but I also love sports. Well, if you're an Atlanta sports fan or if you're a San Diego sports fan, inevitably sports is eventually going to let you down. I know some of you guys are Lakers fans, and this is the exception of the year, but there 
they're eventually going to let you down probably next year before the end of the year. Listen, you say, I love my friends. I get that. I love food. I love sports. I love my friends. Well, especially in LA, our friends don't need a whole lot of inspiration, do they, to let us down? Just another opportunity. I love my career, Pastor Matt. I can't tell you how many people I've met in LA who came out here for a career and then they said, this isn't what I thought. Yet God so loved the world that he gave us a gift of his son. Every other path to life and to love leads to a dead end except God's son. The Bible tells us, John 10, 10, God came to give us life, to give us life abundantly. God gives us a great gift this Christmas. God loved you enough to die on the cross. And listen to me, if God loved you enough to die on the cross, don't you think he cares enough to take care of your fears, to walk through you with your fears, to be with you during your fears this Christmas? You see, fear causes us to lose expectation. We lose our enthusiasm. We, we suppress our gifts. We expect the worst. But the Bible says perfect love drives out what? Fear. And God's trying to drive out fear in your life this Christmas. How? Through his perfect love. Through his perfect love. Perfect love is unconditional. God doesn't give like you and I give. I'll give based on what you give me. I'll give based on what you've done for me. God doesn't give that way. God also gives freely. It's not like he's only got a limited supply. It's not like a Black Friday deal. Once it's out, it's out. God has an unlimited supply and he gives freely. God also doesn't keep accounts of the wrongs you've done to him. We keep accounts of wrongs done to us. God's not keeping accounts this morning. God doesn't withhold his love from you in order to try to influence you towards a certain end. God gives with the intent to bless you, to bring peace, to bring joy. Church, listen to me this morning. I want to encourage you to give God your fear this Christmas and let God give you his gift of love. But you know, gifts cannot be possessed if they're never received. You can press on those keys, brother. I just want it to sound really good here as we close. Gifts can't be possessed if they're never received. You understand that? If your grandma calls from Grand Rapids today and says, hey, I got a gift for you, sitting at the post office. That gift can't be possessed and enjoyed as long as it's sitting at the post office. You don't reap the benefits of a gift unless you receive it. You can't watch that 75-inch TV if it's sitting at UPS. A gift must be received in order to be enjoyed and experienced. How do you receive God's gift of love to you? John 3.16 says, whoever believes, whoever believes, you need to take it by faith. Listen to me. I, I'm almost done. You need to take it by faith in Jesus Christ that what Jesus did for you, he did for you. Do you understand what I mean? You need to take it by faith that what he did for you, he really did for you. And what did he do for you? He went to the cross for you. He went to the cross in your place. 
He went to the cross to bear your sins. What he did for you, he really did for you. And you need to take it by faith. Listen, you need to trust that what God says he is giving you is actually what he's given you. You understand what I mean? Let me illustrate it. This morning when you came into the auditorium, you chose a seat. Now, I have to admit, there's some seats that are busted and broken in here, and you probably know where those are if you ever sat in them. But for the most part, you came in this morning and you saw the chair. You saw a seat. And at some point, you believed that seat can carry my weight. Listen to me. That belief did not become faith until, until you shifted the weight of your feet onto the weight of that chair. Church, listen to me. Listen to me. If you're new to church, if you're Exploring faith this morning, if you just came on the invite of a friend, listen to me. Believing in Jesus is not just believing facts. It's leaning the weight of my soul onto the cross of Jesus, and it's not faith until you fully surrender your weight to the trust of the chair. Belief without faith, belief without fully surrendering to God, listen to me, is demonic faith. What do you mean, Pastor Matt? The Bible says demons believe and they tremble. Demons have a mental assent to what God did, but they're not fully surrendering to God until your belief is a full surrender to God. It's demonic faith. I'm not talking about praying a prayer for some of you this morning. I'm not talking about just showing up at church this morning. Do you understand that people in every single religion ask God and pray to God, God, would you let me into heaven? I'm talking about a trust from your heart. I'm talking about putting the weight of your soul onto the cross of Jesus, realizing that what God did on the cross is your only hope. Some of us this morning, listen to me, I'm I'm speaking to you with passion and compassion this morning. Some of us have never trusted that what God is giving you is what he's actually giving you. Some of us have never trusted that what he did is what he actually did. And the presence of overwhelming doubt and overwhelming fear is one of the indications that you never fully trusted and believed and surrendered your life to Jesus. Will you receive the gift of his son this Christmas? Will you receive the gift of his saving love on the cross this morning? Would you bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing one last song. We'll be done this morning. Will you receive the gift of the Savior? who loves you and died for you this morning. There's nothing magical or mystical about it. If you've never trusted your life to Jesus, we don't embarrass you, make you say anything you don't want to say, stand on the stage, do anything you don't want to do. It's simply a moment between you and the Lord where you literally lean. That's what's happening. You lean the weight of your soul to the trust of the cross. The Bible says, Not that you can be, not that you ought to be, not that you might be, but the Bible uses these words in Romans chapter 10. You will be saved. God's trustworthy. He's trustworthy with everything in your life, not just your soul. He's trustworthy with your fears, your chaos, your misery. He's trustworthy. 
One pastor said, if I had a million lives to give, I would give them all to God. Would you give yours to God this morning? That's your desire to be saved and to know Jesus. Nothing magical about it. As we close out, you just need a moment with the Lord to express to him the putting and trusting of your weight onto the cross. We'd love for you to talk with someone about that down front, Marco, green sweater. Can't miss him to my right, your left. That's your desire to trust your life to Jesus. Marco would love to tell you, and Sarah, they would love to tell you how to give your life to Jesus. Would you do that this morning? If I had a million lives to give, I'd give them all to God. Would you give yours to him this morning? Next, can I just, as I close, can I just speak to the believers in the room this morning? We'll never live perfectly without fear, without loneliness. It's a, it's a common experience for all of humanity as we're making our way to the place that God has prepared. But can I say to you today, God is with you. He's with you. He's with you right now. Would you trust in him? That what he did, he actually did for you. Perfect love drives out fear. God, we love you. Thank you for a moment to spend in the scriptures today. I pray that you encourage some people in this auditorium.